This is Christianity in Action, a podcast of First Presbyterian Church of Albany, Georgia. For more info, visit 1stpresalbany.org. Hey folks, it's J.D. Sumner here coming at you with another podcast for uh, Christianity in Action. And I have the pleasure of sitting with uh, virtually uh, Reverend Deb uh, Tregaskis of the Flint River Presbytery and uh, based out of southwestern Georgia, mostly south central too a little bit. And it's, it's a weird geographical area, uh, Deb. Can you kind of describe what the Presbytery looks like at least? Yeah, so the area of the Presbytery is all the way up to Forsyth, Gray, to Thomaston, all the way up to that, all the way over to Macon in the east, and then straight across to Columbus in the west, and all the way down to Bainbridge and Donaldsonville. So a wide swath, the southwest corner of Georgia. So you have basically Alabama on the western border, um, all the way up past I-75 in the, the eastern side, down to Florida on the bottom side. I mean, that's a large geographic area. Yeah, yeah, it is. It is. Lots of amazing souls uh, along those highways and byways and, and um, beautiful Georgia dirt roads. And you have seen every inch of it as executor, executive presbyter, right? If it leads to a beautiful congregation, I have seen the dirt road. Yes. <laughs> Love it. I love it. Well, well, Deb, um, I'm, I'm happy to have you here today because I, um, I don't believe that a lot of people understand your role and understand the role of a presbytery in general, um, as far as our faith goes. Can you just kind of, uh, let's do, uh, Presbyterianism 101. What is your role and what's the role of a presbytery when, as it pertains to advancing the kingdom of God? Yeah, I would love to talk about that because honestly, I mean, most of us as as Presbyterians, I'm not sure we always know, but I mean, bottom line, a presbytery is a network of Presbyterian churches that work together so that our impact on the world can be further reaching. So that's like the layman's term. It's just a gathering. And so in our case, Flint River Presbytery it's a network of 43 congregations and five campus ministries, all of which are linked together so that we can be salt and light for the world. Um, in terms of Presbytery land, or Presbyterian land, um, Presbyterians have a particular function for Presbytery, which is beautiful. We have this book called the Book of Order, which is a beautiful book. It is not the same as scripture, but it's a book about how do we live together? What are the, um, what are the um, messages we want to bring to the world when we're in agreement or when we're in disagreement? And a presbytery in this book, um, its whole point is to support the witness of local congregations so that those congregations can be communities of faith, hope, and love. Like, I think that's beautiful. That is um, pretty amazing to, to think about that. And, and it, it, it's beautiful in its simplicity, 
but also, frankly, if you sit in there and think about it, it's beautiful in its complexity as well, because there, there's a lot that goes into those three words, right? Faith, hope, and love. Right. And to support, the presbytery is not a bureaucracy. It's, 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 it's a way to undergird congregations, to, to support, to empower, to encourage, to enliven, um, so that um, in really, really good times, in really bad times, and everything in between, we can be here to help congregations grow strong in their discipleship. That's an, that's an awesome way to put it, because um, I've, um, I guess my relationship with the Presbytery has really only been for maybe the last four years or so. Mm-hmm. Um, but during that four-year period, we've had uh, two devastating tornadoes. We've had um, a category one hurricane come through the area that's never had a hurricane come through before. Plenty of tropical storms, but never a hurricane. And then now we're dealing with uh, a global pandemic. Um, And not to mention, that's just the Albany area. There's been disasters in other parts of the Presbytery as well, Mm -hmm. be it flooding or, um, you know, other kinds of drought or other kinds of issues that have been plaguing churches. Um, You, how is that support? How are you even able to like manifest that level of support. I mean, it's, you're, you're such a, and I hope this comes across the right way. You're, you're kind of, you're such a small force. I mean, you yourself are, are incredible, like this bright light in the middle of the darkness, but like it's you and two or three other people part-time mostly that are trying to get all this work done. How, how do you, how, how are you able to provide that support? Well, thank you. Um, I mean, the gift is because we're disciples, we're not doing it alone, right? We're doing it with teams of people and everybody, people like you and um, lots and lots of volunteers um, uses their gifts. So that's how we do it locally because we have teams of volunteers. But the gift of the Presbyterian Church, the PCUSA, is the Presbytery doesn't do it alone because we're a whole network of um, resources all throughout the denomination. So when we have hurricanes, our tornadoes, or a pandemic, I have all these resources, financial, um, spiritual, biblical, educational, theological, you name it, at my fingertips with all these different um, agencies of the Presbyterian Church that can help provide what I need. Um, I mean, that's the easy answer, but the, the bottom line is just none of us are doing it alone. Locally, we have amazing volunteers and denominationally um, a lot of resources at our fingertips. Well, and I, it, it's amazing to see the work that you've been able to do with those teams. And let, let's be clear about things too. Like we've mentioned a lot of natural disasters, but there's some man-made disasters too that, that mm-hmm. you've had to help assist churches with, whether it's the, the loss of a pastor or um, the sudden shift in philosophy of a mm-hmm. congregation mm-hmm. and dealing with uh, national political issues that have mm-hmm. trickled into the con and in, into in congregations across the South. Um, and, and these really kind of, 
dark and dire moments that churches find themselves in and need, need guidance and direction. Um, you found yourself in the middle of those things as well. Um, can you talk a little bit about the, the spiritual advice that you have to, that you should get to give to pastors, but also how you kind of step into those kind of more controversial situations? Sure. Um, um, what I love about Presbytery, it's such a unique opportunity to walk with people in really hard times. And so I guess I would say I just need to make myself very small, my ears very big, and just keep us all connected to Jesus. So no magic wand, no magic advice. Every situation's different. But um, when people are in conflict, are in um, crisis mode, I think that all of our hearts are generally a little more open to possibility and conversation. And it's always an honor to work with folks who um, really want to learn after something hard. And, and I see all the time, they have everything they need. God has gifted them with the insight and the wisdom. It's just a matter of a new face walking in and asking some questions um, are digging around together until we can find the right questions um, and, and then figuring out where Jesus is pulling them next. Um, yeah. Is that getting at what you're asking? Yeah, I think, I think um, the thing I've been able to marvel at is how um, disarming you can be because it's been my, my experience that um, I, I grew up in a different denomination. And we had infighting all the time between the, the, their leadership, local church leadership and the pastor for, for different reasons. And we never really had an arbiter that was able to come in and say, okay, look, I'm a, I'm a neutral third party, but I'm here to support Christ ultimately. Um, let's, let's talk to each other as brothers and sisters in Christ and not as us versus them. Mm-hmm. Um, and just be honest in what we're discussing and, um, and go from there and see where, we, see where it leads up. And I think one of your remarkable talents is the ability to, to be disarming in a very controversial setting. So you could walk into a session who can't seem to agree on whether to keep the pastor around or not. And by the time you and your folks leave, generally people are on good terms. So, I mean, that's to me a, a, a bit of a miracle. It's a minor miracle in, in many ways. <laughs> Crazy you know? Jesus. That's right. Gets in the how, middle of the room and yeah. How do you do that? I mean, that, that's just, I mean, what's your secret? I mean, I don't have one, right? Cause it's not me, hmm. right? It's not me. So I think again, make yourself small pay attention to the gifts that are around the table and listen for the rustlings of the Holy Spirit. And, awesome. and when we all want the same thing, every single church, even if it's conflicted, if they love the Presbyterian, they're not sure about it. We all want the same thing. We want our churches to be thriving and we want to be faithful disciples. And, it, and we all agree on that. And so once we can just remember that that's our our focus, our goal, our hope, our dream. Um, then the rest we just kind of work through. But I think 
the more we all remember, it's just, it's not about us. It's not about me. It's not about you. It's not about session. It's, it's about how do we love Jesus well? And how do we, I mean, how do we laugh at ourselves, right? Because God knows there's plenty of places I've gone in and um, I'm like, holy bananas, uh, should have done that differently. And then to be able to laugh together and said, yep, learn from that one. Right, right. Yeah. That's, that's, a, that's a skill that I think is underrated in the world is the ability to kind of self-reflect and, and then not beat yourself up over it, but use it as a learning experience. I've heard recently something from somebody that says you never, I can't remember where I heard it from, but it says you never really fail at anything. You, if you're successful, great. If you're not successful, you've learned something. So there's no failure in anything, you know? Um, Nothing is wasted with God. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, yeah. So let me, let me ask you something. I always ask when I have ministers on um, how they ended up in the fold. So what, what is your call story? What is your, oh, um, yeah. what was your moment where um, you were walking down the road to Damascus and the scales fell off? What, what was that? For you? Oh, the well, I was walking down the road in Strasbourg, France as a 21-year-old, happily had my life planned to become a French and English professor at college, was getting ready to do my applications to, for um, school, and went overseas to study France, French for a semester and um, hung out with a bunch of French Mennonites, which are very rare and a bunch of atheists from um, Ivy League schools all over the country. So it was such an interesting blend. And, um, after, and so one day I literally was walking to school um, by the um, huge Strasbourg Cathedral that many people may know. And um, I just sensed Jesus laughing at me. Um, and I'd been having an ongoing dialogue with him because all my atheist friends are like, you seem bright, but then you say you follow Jesus and you don't have any real good um, uh, reason like, or evidence. Right, or evidence. That's what they wanted. They wanted evidence. And I had nothing. And I had grown up Presbyterian, had grown up in the church. And then I had all these sweet French Mennonites who had taken me under their wing. So I'd never had these conversations before. So I started to really doubt and think, oh my gosh, I mean, if I can't convince somebody of the authenticity and reality of this, I'm a loser. Anyway, so I'd had this whole conversation with Jesus like, hey, see you later, buddy. Uh, I can't prove to anybody that you're real. So I'm just going to try to not pray to you. Like, I mean, I'm laughing now, but I was 20 and turning 21. I'm just not going to pray and um, I'll get back to you because obviously you're not real to these other folks. I can't prove it. So let's just see how life goes. So I had done this, would wake up and start praying and go, oh, right. And then just one day, a couple of weeks in, there was this huge laugh. It was just a laugh. I, and it was, um, you need to serve in the church. And I just said, ah, nope. And so that was the beginning. Um, went back to my college, three odd people, my atheist French teacher, a girl I couldn't stand, and then one of my best friends who was deeply faithful all randomly said to me, 
um, in the first month back at my senior year after being away, why aren't you thinking about seminary? And I was basically thinking, holy, you know what? Um, <laughs> not me, so, not me, not this girl. You. No, thank you. But, um, and I just realized, I mean, there was the internal sense that I avoided and then there was the external. And so I just listened for um, first semester and wrestled with that and then eventually ended up it's interesting you, you mentioned the word wrestle because I've, I've heard that consistently through uh, different calls that people, uh, uh, they, they have this somewhat epiphany mm -hmm. and then they, but it's a minor epiphany, right? It's just like mm -hmm. a little still voice in the back of their head that says maybe they should do this and then they ignore it. And then inevitably there is reminder after reminder or nudge after nudge. Um, and then, then they make the leap. Mm -hmm. And when they make the leap though, and they start telling their family and telling their friends, some, some inevitably there's pushback or there's doubt. Mm -hmm. and maybe it comes immediately, but maybe it comes third year of seminary and they're like, am I really fit to do why why what was I thinking mm -hmm. I think did you ever have one of those moments where you were oh absolutely I mean I went to Yale Divinity School and basically I got there and thought holy bananas I mean what am I doing here I'm this little girl from Pennsylvania small private college I mean these are the big wigs so, I mean, just academically and intellectually, I wasn't sure I could make it. And then once kind of got through that, I went straight from college to seminary and then had a huge moment of, I can't leave people in the church. I can try to follow Jesus on my own, but I have so little life experience. So, um, I mean, the way I ended up in Southwest Georgia is because America's Georgia called me as a seminary intern to live there for a year. And that was transformative. I mean, that, that's how I learned to be a pastor, at, to start to learn, not to start, and um, was really transformative in terms of helping me look honestly that doubts are good. <laughs> I mean, it's not good or bad, it just is. We all have them, so let's learn from them and wrestle with them and not be afraid of them. Um, and gosh, if we have doubts, we're a whole lot more approachable. Right. Yeah. yeah. I found that um, people who are honest in their faith and admit that, you know, it's dude, this is, hard. it's a mystery. I mean, part of this is a mystery that we will never understand. Mm -hmm. We're just incapable of understanding, but that doesn't preclude me from believing it. And, and when you mentioned your, your evidence or lack of evidence for your friends, you know, I, uh, that's the whole definition of faith, right? Yeah. Is to believe yeah. in something without evidence. Yeah. Um, yeah. To just feel that inner inner movement to go. And I think um, I'm reminded of the, the, the line out of um, one of the Dan Brown books um, where the Pope asked the guy, you know, um, the main character, you know, well, do you believe science and religion can coexist? And he says, well, faith is not a, a gift I have yet to receive. 
But I love the way he phrased that because he says yet to receive. Yet, yeah. Not closing the door on it, but but saying that, you know, acknowledging that people receive the push and the nudge at different times, you know? And mm -hmm. um, I mean, Peter, um, Peter denied Christ three times, right? Mm -hmm. And ends up being the rock upon which the church was built. And so, um, and later, um, and I may be confusing my P's here. Was it Peter or Paul who evangelized to the 3000 on Pentecost? Um, was, uh, so, uh, you know, mm -hmm. It's it's hard to imagine that from four, almost forty days after, or three months, a little, a little after three months after denying Christ, he leads the largest um, affirmation of the faith that had been held up to that point. Right, that's exactly right. Yeah. So yeah. It, I guess God takes His own time with everybody, mm -hmm. you know? and, and and with God, where time is not something that even exists, um, you just have to be patient, I guess. Right. So. Yeah, I love the word yet. I mean, there's so much possibility there. Um, just, yeah, just so much possibility. What What have you seen? Um, and I don't know if you can share a story or an anecdote, but what what are some of the things that you, for people who aren't familiar with Southwest Georgia and our kind of uh, religious culture down here, what what does it mean to be a Presbyterian in the middle of the country, out out in rural Georgia? Um, and what does that, uh, what does that look like? What does that feel like? What are you seeing in your churches mm -hmm. right now? What are, mm -hmm. what, what are some of the challenges? What are some of the opportunities? Uh, what are the highlights uh, that you're seeing? Yeah, gosh, what a great question, a zillion ways. So if somebody doesn't know what a Presbyterian is in Southwest Georgia, most first and foremost, a Presbyterian is a disciple of Jesus Christ. And and that disciple has decided to follow in the Presbyterian denomination. Um, I think what I see again and again that Presbyterians, because it's not a usual denomination in Southwest Georgia, what I'm finding is that people aren't coming to a Presbyterian church because it's easy or expected or normal. They're coming because they're finding something that speaks um, of generosity or kindness or courage. Um, Presbyterians are um, greatly educated, but not educated, I hope, in snooty ways, just real ways. We take education and living in scripture, really, um, we value that incredibly. We value generosity. So um, I think what I'm seeing again and again, um, it's just courage to be in a place that's maybe a little unusual. If somebody grew up Southern Baptist or whatever, and you have to choose to be in a Presbyterian church generally. And, and that's a blessing. Um, Presbyterians are incredibly generous. Um, we have all these ways that we reach out into the world in a zillion ways. And I think we're pretty, um, what I see in all these little churches is just a tremendous amount of imagination and steadfast courage. Um, and, oh, there was something else. What was it? It'll come, it'll come back. Um, <laughs> oh, this is one of the things I love um, about Presbyterians is that Presbyterians don't think we have um, a corner on the truth. We think that 
our Southern Baptist and our Methodist and our Lutheran and our Roman Catholic and our Episcopal friends all have pieces of the truth. But because we're human, we just have a tiny piece of it. And as Presbyterians, we are huge proponents of ecumenical because if we can work with our Southern Baptist and Methodist and Episcopal and Roman Catholic sisters and brothers, every denomination is going to bring a different gift to our work together. And that's one thing I particularly value that um, we are not interested in degrading or downplaying, but rather lifting up the gifts of all our sisters and brothers and realizing that we're always stronger together. And if we don't agree, um, we may not agree about who knows what, it doesn't matter. What we do agree on is that we love Jesus Christ. And we can learn. We can learn from what we disagree with because if we can disagree well, um, that to me is the most um, vital and vibrant witness we can give to in a world that is so divided right now. If you disagree with me, you're not on my team. Versus, hey, we're all on the same team, so let's model to the world how to be witnesses to love love which cast out fear, love which casts out tight-fisted, um, uh, just tight-fisted uh, mindsets. Yeah, mindsets and behaviors, yeah. Yeah, yeah, and just say, gosh, I, I never thought about it that way. I may not agree, but I can see how that's going to stretch my heart and stretch my mind. So that's the one thing I love most about Presbyterians. And Presbyterians are willing to listen to people of other faith, um, 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 which, again, is often controversial. But one thing I just read recently, which was powerful in, during this time of pandemic, our Jewish brothers and sisters who um, gave us Jesus have this beautiful prayer practice that when you have an emotion that is hard, um, like the emotion of fear, are the emotion of anger, our anxiety, things that everybody is dealing with now. They talk about taking that emotion and putting it under the prayer shawl. Um, so holding it with prayer. But then you befriend, our Christian brothers and sisters of taste say you befriend those emotions. I like to say you take the emotions by their hands. You hold fear by their hand, anxiety or anger, and say, come take a walk with me. We're going to take a walk in the light of prayer. And so rather than resisting them, which is what, because Christians, we think we're supposed to have all of our stuff together and we don't. Well, I don't. I'll just, I don't. But when you're not afraid of those hard emotions, you take them by the hand and say, come take a walk. Let's walk in light. And I hear you. You're real. But you also don't define me and you don't confine me because Jesus has me by the hand. That has been a really life-giving. That's practice. powerful. That, yeah. that, that is yeah. uh, because there's a tendency to, to just not acknowledge that a yeah. negative force is even there, you know what I mean? Or to, yeah. to, to totally like demonize it and say that there's, there's no purpose for it other than to bring me down. But usually um, I like to say, you know, adversity builds character and, that um, 
it's usually under pressure by which the most beautiful and hardest things are made. Uh, yeah. So like the hardest steel has to be, you have to go through incredible temperatures, diamonds in order to have diamonds, you have to have incredible pressure and heat together right. and it forms this beautiful thing at the end turns a, a ordinary rock piece of carbon into this beautiful right. thing that we value. Um, Garrett, um, Andrew, who was the mm -hmm. pastor who married my wife and I, um, let me be, let me rephrase that. We don't believe in polyamorous relationships in, in Presbyterian. He, he was, he presided over our marriage service. Okay. Um, so he, uh, he gave a sermon one time and it has stuck with me to this day. And I even went so far as to do my own research after, you know, a sermon's good when you leave and then yeah. you go do your own research on it. Yeah. Yeah. But that's great. About, he, he was, uh, I believe he was referencing nine 11 or something. He's talking about when he was younger, um, and he told the Fred Rogers story about how when something bad happens, you know, you always look, don't, don't look for the, the bad thing. Look for the people who are running towards it to try and help look for the helpers, you know? Yeah. But he, he told the story about how we are, we are these broken vessels. Mm -hmm. um, we were perfectly crafted and deliberately woven together, but because of life and because of our sin, you know, we ultimately end up being broken. Uh, however, in the Japanese culture, they have a practice where they, they, when they break a pottery, a piece of pottery, they put it back together using a gold filament. It's, um, it's called, uh, the practice is called like kintsuki, I think is the mm -hmm. word. So, yeah, very close. Yeah. And, and it's, it's used to, um, to illustrate where the cracks were and make this new yeah. beautiful piece of art out of what once was a broken piece of a shattered piece of pottery. And he said, God, God's our golden filament, right? Oh, that's and he's beautiful. the, he's the piece that comes into our brokenness and puts us back together and makes us something beautiful and new. Mm -hmm. I don't know what it was. Mm -hmm. And I, I mean, I walked, I walked away from that. I, I, it wasn't long after my wife and I just stumbled into the church and I said, we're, we're going to this place. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, I need more of that in my life. Mm -hmm. um, there's, there's mm -hmm. enough. I'd, I'd grown up in a church where there was a lot of point finger pointing and, um, you know, uh, scary talk about hell and heaven and, um, and I, I, I was relieved to, to know that there were churches out there that focused more on how to usher in the kingdom of God and not necessarily told, not tell me how to get there, but how I could bring it here. You know, how to, how to reach, right. Not fire insurance. We're part of the kingdom. How do we, yep, partner. And yeah. so that's what Presbyterianism has meant to me. Mm -hmm. And, I, and I, I know my wife, uh, she's, um, <laughs> we like to say, and again, without finger pointing, we, we both were raised in different, um, denominations far from one another, but her first experience with the Bible was in our church at 27 years old. I mean, she'd grown up in church Yeah. her faith and yeah. her, and her denomination, she, you didn't read the Bible. You had it read to you by, priest and yeah, so yeah. um she never had cracked it open for herself and so now it's a whole new world she's she's able to delve into it and do it in new ways and stuff but um it's really meant the world to us uh, just 
meeting people in, in, in a diverse congregation. Mm-hmm. I mean, having, having younger people, mm-hmm. older people, um, different races, different. Um, one of the first things I really enjoyed was our pew swap with um, uh, Bethel AME, uh, which is. Oh, a, yeah. Yeah. A and I'm going to tell you, it, it makes you uncomfortable and that's a good thing. Yep. When you get so centered on, well, this is my pew and my spot on this pew. And this is, this is the way I like my service that when you go to somebody else's service and you feel a little uncomfortable, I'm convinced that is Jesus tapping you on the shoulder saying, you know, look, you're focused on the wrong thing here. It's not the order of service necessarily. It is, it is how it is taught. And then they are so uh, energizing and engaging and, and, and whatnot that service was. Uh, and, I, you know, we, we're known for our Presbyterian nods being as, uh-huh. <laughs> being as wild as we get in church. Yeah, yeah. When people stand up and shout and start clapping and whatnot, it's a whole different experience. But, um, but it's worship, you know, it is, it is worship. Absolutely. People worship differently. But, um, well, Deb, I will say this about you. The thing that um, I really appreciate to you is, is your ability to, to, to be that bright light, but also to navigate the world of the, you said you're not a bureaucracy earlier, but you are an organization and uh, it, it's a business, frankly. Um, it's the business of bringing the kingdom mm-hmm. back to earth, right? Mm-hmm. And of healing a broken world. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it takes resources and it takes people and it takes working together to do that. And, and that's your job is you heard a, a ton of cats over a <laughs> broad area. So I'm just thankful. Yeah, beloved cats. Yes. <laughs> Thank you. Yes. Thank you. And, and some of them you agree with and some of them you pray for, well, you pray for all of them, but some of them you, you just pray a little extra for, um, so I just admire the way you, you're able to do that with such um, dignity and class, um, at least publicly. Now, privately, you may go behind the doors and just yell and scream <laughs> and holler at people. But. I just laugh at myself a lot and think, yeah, I just have lots to learn. We're doing it all together. But yes. <laughs> the last thing, last thing I want to touch on is something um, that's, I think, incredibly important right now because a lot of families are doing things differently. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm homeschooling my son, who I never thought I would that would do. I work in education. So it's a little surprising that I would do homeschool my child. Um, A lot of families are doing that. A lot of families are out of work. A lot of families are struggling with um, the specter of things like homelessness Mm -hmm. and joblessness and just how, what, just fear and anxiety. Right. And pastors are not immune from that. Absolutely not. No, we're Uh, not how can you talk a little bit about self-care and and how you advise pastors on how to take care of themselves during times like these yeah and obviously saying this not from a point of expert but another sister in jesus figuring it out with everybody else but i mean the first thing i guess i would say and i say to myself like be gentle with ourselves let's just be gentle it's a scary time it's uncertain. We have so much to be thankful for. I mean, we have so much, and yet it's still scary. I think we're all grieving. There's a lot of loss and grieving takes time and it takes energy. And so 
maybe we can sleep a little more or maybe we can slow down and not work as fiercely. I just think the goal is to emerge wiser and kinder and gentler and more generous. And so we have to be gentle and one day we may be get a zillion things done and the next day we just have to slow down so we can dig around in our souls and befriend whatever is uncomfortable. So one, I would just say be gentle. Two, I would say that this time, which is so liquid, very eternal, we don't have the set because we're everybody, we're working from home if we're lucky enough to have a job and we're trying to take care of toddlers and elementary age children and routine and I would call it rhythms, rhythms of pause to eat together as you can, pause to just breathe. Um, I've been trying to do just really simple breathing exercises with our pastors, you know, to just breathe in calm and breathe out courage. I mean, much slower and different words, but you know, breathing slows us down, reminds us of the spirit, um, gets us in touch with a part of the brain that is not so reactive, a part of the brain that is um, garnished and garnered by prayer. So, you know, just um, gentleness, rhythms of prayer and gratitude. It's, it's easy to spiral down and it's okay when we do. Um, and then I think you, you pick yourself up and say, it's a new day. And these are the things I'm grateful for. Like whether, yeah. you know, something small or something big. I was talking to Josh, our pastor, um, yeah. at first Pres Albany. Pastor. Yeah. And he was on a leadership call this morning with a bunch of other pastors and the political leaders of Albany and Doherty County mm -hmm. talking about COVID-19 and mm -hmm. the impact and, um, the reality has, as they put it, is that there is no more normalcy mm -mm. that likely will ever be had, mm -mm. Mm -mm. uh, that, you know, the way life was three months ago, uh, will likely never be the way it will be again, at least for the foreseeable future. Um, mm -hmm. uh, and he said, you know, there was nothing but ministers on the line and uh, political folks and that they were um, some people were in agreement and some people were not. And they were talking about, you know, when should, when can we have in-person services again and all that kind of stuff. And he said, one minister said something profound and that was that, um, you know, we're used to the world radically changing. You know, if we're Christians, we believe we just celebrated the fact that the world radically changed in an instant. Mm -hmm. He said, so we shouldn't fear it. You know, mm -hmm. sheltering in place is kind of our thing. You know, that's what the disciples did the days after Christ uh, re resurrected. Um, yep. And, and Josh's sermon, I think on Sunday is actually reminding people that, that the disciples wanted to go out right away and start evangelizing and doing whatever. And Jesus said, no, 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 no. This is, this <laughs> that's the father's job to schedule things, not yours, you know? And, uh, I think we're all in that place now. It's like, okay, ready to come out of the, <laughs> ready to come out of the homes, ready right. to hug each other and do something familiar. 
Uh, but we have to remind ourselves that we're not on our schedule, you know, mm-hmm. we're on God's schedule. And yeah. um, for, a, for an entity that has no time, that mm-hmm. no prospect of time, you know, mm-hmm. that can be frustrating, you know, but yeah. um, I'm just grateful that we have people like you and, and others to lean on when we have those times where, because um, pastors are human too, you know, well, they, they, sure need, they need support. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And they don't have all the right answers, you know. Um, sure don't. Yeah. Nope. Well, I hear my toddler waking up, so we're going to have to go. Uh, it was nice talking with you, Deb. Thank you yes, very much. Well. Thank you, well, J.D., I'll, for all you do for Presbyterians throughout Southwest Georgia. Will do. Have a great day, Deb. Thanks. You too. Be well. Bye. Bye-bye. This is Christianity in Action, a podcast of First Presbyterian Church of Albany, Georgia. For more info, visit 1stpresalbany.org.